0: Started. Can everybody hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Before we start, I'm going to have um, Ryan, would you like to explain the origin of this picture up here? Um, I thought this was the three Marys at the cross. Uh, I was
1: wrong. Well, I, I thought so too originally, but actually that figure on the, the right does, it who looks very young and a bit feminine. It's actually St. John. That's why St. John is usually understood to be the youngest of the disciples because he lives the longest post-Jesus um, we have John and St. Mary, and then St. Jerome on the left, and St. Mary Magdalene um, up above him. This is the Monde Crucifixion, which is another altarpiece. This was by Raphael, one of the three great masters of the Renaissance. Um, and so it's a, a very high-Renaissance kind of painting. And we've got two of the three Marys.
0: Mm-hmm. There you go. Good enough. So um, for for those of you who may not know me, I think probably at this point, most of you in the room do know me. Um, My name is Kate Brown. I am the Minister of Family and Faith Formation here at Prince George. Um, I'm usually teaching a room full of middle schoolers at youth group. Um, or the little ones at St. Martha's on Sundays, um, kind of filling in a gap here. You may have noticed we, um, have been missing a bunch of folks from our PGW family for the past week. They are on an exciting trip to the Holy Land, visiting all these places we've been talking about, um, some of the places we're going to talk about today. Um, so I think everybody made it there in one piece, but um, as we open with prayer, I just want to remember um, to pray for their continued safety and that they have safe returns home next week. I I think Thursday is when they get back. Um, So I found an Anglican prayer for those who are traveling. Um, I'll read that aloud, and then I would love if we could all pray the Lord's Prayer together. Um, So the Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, our Heavenly Father, whose glory fills the whole creation, and whose presence we find wherever we go, preserve those who travel, surround them with your loving care, protect them from every danger, and bring them in safety to their journey's end. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. Amen. So just as a reminder for those of you who may not have been with us the past couple of Wednesdays, our Linton Supper series this year is called Faces in the Crowd Transformed by the Cross. Um, and the faces in question are individuals who would have been there um, at Jesus' crucifixion or at least Um, Those individuals whose scripture tells us were there at the crucifixion. Um, Two weeks ago, Ryan talked about Peter and Judas and their contrast in response when faced with their sin, um, both having betrayed Jesus in their own way. Judas attempting to deal with his sin on his own um, and running from Christ. And Peter, in contrast, running towards Christ. Um, Last week, Mike talked about Nicodemus and Joseph, um, two folks who found themselves there at the cross, convicted by their faith in Jesus and their belief that he was indeed the Savior. Um, And the main theme here is how are these individuals transformed by the cross, um, and then how are we to be transformed by the cross in turn? Um, If you did miss the last couple of weeks, or even if you were here and you want to go back and give them a listen, we actually have both um, Mike and Ryan's teachings on our website right now. Um, On our church website, there is a button that says um, sermons, and you can click on that, and you can listen to the audio file from the last couple of weeks, and this will be on there as well. Um, so go back and give those a listen if you haven't heard him yet. It's good stuff. And next week, I think, is John, John the Beloved Disciple, correct? Do you know who's teaching? I don't. No, Someone. I'm, I know it will be great. I don't know who it is, but I know it's going to be wonderful. Um, but tonight, we are going to talk about a couple of women who were there at the cross. Um, we know that there were women there at the crucifixion because... Every single gospel writer places women there. There we go. Perfect. (laughs) Um, Every single gospel writer places women there at the the crucifixion. Some of them, they go into more details than others. Um, Some name these women by name. Some are a little bit more vague. Um, I wrote down some specific descriptions from each of the gospel writers. Um, Matthew says that many women were also there. Mark tells us that there were women, women looking on from a distance. Um, Luke calls them women who had followed him, Jesus, from Galilee. However, none of the synoptic gospels, that would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, go into any great detail about women being there literally at the foot of the cross, um, up close, it's John, who is um, the, the gospel writer who would have been there at the cross himself, who is witnessing this firsthand from the foot of the cross, who places these three women there at the foot of the cross with him. And those women are Mary, um, the mother of Jesus, Mary, wife of Clopas, who um, we think probably was Mary's sister-in-law or some sort of close family member, and also Mary Magdalene. Um, And so I'm going to read John's depiction of these women at the cross. It's John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. And he writes, Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. John places these three women um, up front, right in the thick of it, if you will, at at the foot of the cross. At least close enough, we know that they can hear um, what Jesus is saying to them, his, his final words. Um, And it's here that I want to point out what might be some really obvious um, context, but I think is so interesting when we're looking at their experience at the cross, is that for these women to have found themselves here at the foot of the cross as open supporters of Jesus, this is an incredibly risky and dangerous situation they have placed themselves in. Um, To have been associated with Jesus at this point could have meant persecution for themselves. Um, there's even threat of death. He is a criminal, so to speak. He is an enemy of the state. And so to be there in this place um, is, is incredibly difficult. They're tending to their, their master in, in his final hours. Um, we know it must have been scary because all scholars agree that um, all 12 disciples have abandoned Jesus at this point. They have fled. Um, Mark 1450 reads, all of them deserted him and fled. Um, Even Peter, who Ryan talked about two weeks ago, um, who is supposed to be this ever loyal, ever faithful disciple. um, His name is Peter, Petrus in Latin. It um, is a name derived from the Greek word for rock because he is the literal rock on which Christ builds his church. Even that St. Peter has denied Jesus three times for fear of what might happen to him um, because of, of his association with, with Christ. So um, it's, it's a pretty bold act. It's a brave act for these women to be here. Some historians say that maybe because they were women, they were um, less at risk of punishment or persecution than the male disciples might have been. Um, but there's disagreements about that. And I think either way, this is, this is definitely a dangerous situation that they have found themselves in. Um, and I don't think it's fair to discount the very real risk that they're, they're putting themselves at to be here. And at the very least, um, if we put ourselves in their shoes, this is no doubt the scariest, most horrific situation these women have ever experienced in their entire lives. Um, And even with with all of this being so, they're there. They're still there at the foot of the cross, um, demonstrating to us this unyielding devotion to the Lord, even in the face of death. Um, So what brings each of these women to the cross? Well, Mary, the mother, of course, um, she's there witnessing her only and beloved son be put to death. Scripture tells us that um, as a young woman, Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel, of course. And he tells her, and this is in chapter 1 of Luke, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David.'" He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so Mary, keep in mind, a lot of historians think she's around 13 years old at this point, point. Um, and this angel comes out of the sky and is like, you're pregnant and it's the son of God. Um, and she responds in this incredibly mature way. She says, um, here am I, the servant of the Lord, Let it be with me according to your word. So, from the very beginning, she is the self described servant of the Lord. Her cousin Elizabeth, um, when greeted by the pregnant Mary who's carrying the baby Jesus in her womb, exclaims, and this is also in Luke chapter 1, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And she ends with, in verse 45, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. So Mary is a servant of the Lord who believed in the fulfillment of the word of the Lord um, and who said to God, let it be done according to your will. So if we fast forward here from this young expecting Mother Mary to the Mother Mary that is here at the cross, We see what is this ultimate act, if you will, of obedience and faith. And Mary, the mother, also has a really unique experience in that she is the only person to witness both the moment that Christ is born into this world, the moments in which he's taking his very first breaths, and also the moment in which he is killed at the hands of this world the moments in which he's taking his very last breaths. Um, She is witnessing firsthand what you and I know to be and what she also knows to be the salvation of all mankind, the fulfillment of God's promise. But when we look at at Mary at the cross and we consider and reflect on her experience, I, I really think we're remiss if we don't consider the very real human element here. She's not only witnessing the salvation of the world, but um, the very public and extremely brutal execution of her only son. Um, historians tell us that crucifixions were bloody, violent, horrific ways to die. They were horrific to behold. Um, I'm sure many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ with Bell Gibson. Um, It was terrible to behold, most especially if the person beholding it is the accused's mother. Um, So she's she's witnessing this up close. Her son hangs from a cross, um, this violent punishment reserved for criminals, flanked by criminals on either side. She watches as this crown of thorns pierces his skull. Um, He hangs there from this cross, people hurling insults at him. Um, and she watches as Jesus finally says, it is finished and perishes there on the cross. And I'm, I'm not a mother, but I don't think that any of us need to be to begin to imagine the indescribable amount of pain that Mary is in. Um, the anguish and the despair that she is feeling, even though this is the salvation of the world at work. Um, this is this is a horrific experience. Um, and there with Mary is presumably her her sister-in-law or some, some sort of close family member, um, Mary wife of Clopas. She's often associated with a group of women who would have been following Jesus' ministry since its early days in, in Galilee. One of which is also Mary Magdalene. So she's there as a devoted follower of her teacher, Jesus, but... Also, we can surmise she is there to support Jesus' mother, her, her kin, her family. Um, she has come to the cross, this, this bold action out of devotion to Jesus and out of love for her family. And I, I can picture almost what I believe probably was a very intimate moment. These, these three women huddled together at the foot of the cross, comforting one another, comforting the mother Mary um, as she says, goodbye to her son. And so finally, what brings Mary Magdalene to this place? Mary Magdalene is depicted up here. What leads her to the foot of the cross um, that Jesus is hanging on? Well, we know Mary Magdalene, she's named for her place of origin, um, the town of Magdala, which would have been in Galilee, today northern israel i think our pgw crew that's in israel right now that was on their list of stops i think they already made their way through magdala so that's why she is named mary magdalene um we know that she was a devout follower of the living jesus as i mentioned before she's grouped with um, these women who had been following him since his early days his ministry in galilee And we know actually that she was a recipient, a direct recipient of his healing powers. Luke groups her in chapter 8 with a group of Jesus' female followers who had been healed by him. He writes that soon afterwards he went on, he being Jesus, through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, as well as some women who had been cured of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Herod's steward, Chusa, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their resources. So she is a follower who has witnessed Jesus' miracles firsthand, been the recipient of them, Um, Someone we can presume turned from sin to faith because of her interaction with Christ, and she must have been a significant follower of Jesus for the Gospels all to have mentioned her by name because Jesus would have had a great many number of followers, um, but every single Gospel mentions her by name. And we know that she is significant in this story. Um, They all mention her by name. Every single gospel account um, of the crucifixion places her there by name. John places her there specifically up close at the foot of the cross with the two other Marys. Um, So she is there as a witness to Jesus' ministry. She's there as a witness to his dying breaths. And she's also there when they bury him. Matthew's account of Jesus's burial places her there, sitting opposite the tomb. Um, And finally, I'm sure we all know, it is she that discovers three days later um, that there is an empty tomb. And it's she that the risen Lord first reveals himself to, which is very significant. She goes to Jesus's tomb um, in the early hours of the morning, Uh, to tend to it, to tend to his body, um, ever faithful, even in death, and discovers, of course, that the stone um, sealing the entrance has been rolled away. And we probably all know how this story goes. She runs and finds some disciples and tells them what she has discovered, and they all come back to the tomb, and indeed, Jesus' body is not there. The disciples go back to their homes, but Mary remains there at the tomb, And um, in John chapter 20, I'll read all of this. Um, It reads, starting with verse 11, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, So Mary Magdalene um, becomes the very first witness to the miracle of the resurrection. And she is given the instruction to go and tell. So we know now what brings each of these women to the cross, the significance they play and the story of the life of Jesus. Um, But what can we take away from their experiences at the cross? How can we, too, be transformed by it? So I think when we picture these women at at the foot of the cross, we see this picture of unwavering obedience and devotion and faith. The one that they have given their lives to, the one they've left everything to follow, Mm -hmm. hangs before them dying. They are grieved and they are scared. They probably have reason to fear for their safety, and yet they stay. And what we know to be true is that life is not one long string of miracle moments, if you will. It was probably much, much easier for these women to have faith in Christ when they're witnessing firsthand Jesus heal the blind, raise people from the dead, turn water into wine. Mary Magdalene is the recipient herself of his healing powers It must have been you know very easy to have faith in him at that moment but in this moment as their beloved savior they've given everything up for hangs there on a cross dead i have to imagine that is not an easy moment to have faith and yet they do they do and as human beings with lived experience you and i know that life is certainly not a string of these miracle moments in fact, life is quite hard. Jesus himself tells us that in this world, you will have trouble. And this is a universal experience, I think, whether you're Christian or not. But as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are given specific instruction because Jesus tells us that, yes, in this world, you will have trouble. In John sixteen thirty-three, he follows it with take courage I have conquered the world. So in the face of the uncertainty, the cross undoubtedly presented on an afternoon when it would have been all too easy to believe that death had won. These women, the Marys, chose instead to rely on their faith. And I think faith is, this, is one of the things that can be taken away. These women serve as exemplars of steadfast faith the kind of faith that we ought to strive for, even when we find ourselves in this place at the foot of the cross, because rest assured, life will bring every single one of us to the proverbial cross. It's, it's not a question of if, it's, it's when. Life takes us places where we experience grief and fear and despair. Life will take us places that makes us question our faith But what sets us apart as Christians is that we are called to take courage because Jesus has conquered the world. We are called to go to the foot of the cross and we're called to stay with our eyes fixed on Jesus like these women. Even when everyone else has fled, when our hearts are broken, when everything seems lost, we still must meet these women at the foot of the cross and we must take courage And believe in the fulfillment of the word of the Lord. I also, I mentioned before that these women would have given everything up in their lives to serve Christ. Mary, the mother, of course, she's given up her body. She carried the Christ child for nine months in her womb, um, raised him up, loved him and nurtured him and followed him and supported him in his ministry. Both um, Mary of Clopas and and Mary Magdalene were described by Scripture as devoted followers of Christ who helped follow and support his ministry by their own means. They, They helped to fund his ministry. They've given up everything to follow this teacher. And at this point in time at the cross, Jesus has become a real threat to the establishment of power. He has become a pariah in these powerful circles. So they're, they're giving up the safety and the comfortability that would have come with conformity or denying their relationship with Jesus. They've given that all up. And it's almost as if they're at the cross in this moment, everything has been stripped from them, taken from them, everything except their hope in Jesus. So the cross in this case forces these women to cling solely to their faith in Christ. And I think so, too, should we hope to come to this place where all of our hope, all of our trust, is in Jesus. The cross should cause us to cling to Christ. And these women at the cross, the Marys, they're they're exemplars of faith and devotion. And it's no wonder to me that Christ chooses Mary Magdalene to be the first to behold his resurrection. These women clung to Jesus, they never left him, they sought to be near to him, even in death. And Mary Magdalene is given this sweet, sweet reward of beholding her teacher, Rabuni, risen from the dead in fulfillment of God's promise. And I I really like to picture that moment, um, kind of add back in another human element to a story that we hear told so often that I think it's easy to picture these folks as almost like characters in a, in a fiction novel, but they were real historical figures, living, breathing people who experienced human emotions. And so I like to picture this moment when, when she discovers Jesus. She's been with him through his ministry. She's been there throughout the entirety of this whole violent experience that is um, the crucifixion and death of Jesus, I imagine, incredibly traumatic, she has spent um, the last days mourning and, and weeping, and I imagine that she misses Jesus dearly. She longs to be with him again, and so when she first sees him, she's so caught off guard that she thinks he's the gardener. She she mistakes him for somebody else, and then there's the moment when she realizes he calls her by name, and, and indeed it is him right there in front of her, and that pure joy, I can't um, can't even begin to conceive. The joy she's experiencing, the emotions she's experiencing right there. She's witness to the fulfillment of God's word right there in the flesh. So I think we too can expect that when we cling to Jesus, show him this adoration and this devotion that these women showed him, remain steadfast in our faith, that we too will behold the glory of the resurrection. We too can behold the glory of the fulfillment of God's promises. We can experience this joy. And finally, when Mary does behold the good news, Christ's defeat over death, she is instructed to go and tell. Jesus sends her to be the first to share the good news. Not Peter, not any of the 12 disciples. He didn't choose somebody with a major platform or prestige or power He chooses a woman, a woman whose greatest strength is her faith in Christ. And so I think that when we too behold the glory of the resurrection, we are charged with that same instruction. We have this obligation to go and tell, to share the good news. And no matter our circumstance or station, when we have been to the foot of the cross and we have lived through it to see the fulfillment of God's word... We, too, must go and tell. So I want to finish this up with prayer, and then maybe we can open it up to discussion. I'm sure we have plenty of time. Um, But because we talked about the Marys this evening, I actually wanted to end with a Hail Mary, which is not something that you hear very often in a Protestant church. But I grew up very Catholic, so I've probably prayed a million Hail Marys in my life. Um, I'm sure most of you don't know it like I do, um, so I'll read it aloud for us. But um, I just thought it would be especially fitting for tonight, and I I find a lot of comfort in this prayer. It's something that I find myself returning to all the time. So I'll, I'll read this for us now. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Anybody feels led with some questions or discussions, you're welcome Welcome to share. Carol. I just
1: have a question. When you did the Hail Mary, and I'm not familiar with this, Yes. Is that a prayer to Mary presently, like she can hear your prayer, right?
0: Um, it is a prayer for Mary to intercede on your behalf.
1: So you think she has the power now to intercede?
0: Well, in I, I can't speak to Anglican theology. I'm sure Ryan could answer that question.
1: <laughs> yeah, I always thought that you prayed either through Jesus or the Father. Right. just my, my teaching. Yeah. There's, um, <clears throat> there's a range in Anglican theology. Um, and there is. Some that incorporate the Hail Mary, and the vast majority, I would say, don't yep. as an actual prayer. Um, most of the language of the Hail Mary is actually straight from Scripture mm-hmm. until you get to the request for intercession. Yes, yes. Um, so, yeah, um, I am hesitant about using it too uh, heavily, you might say. Um, but I think there's a way in which you can talk about uh, intercession of saints. But you have to tread carefully.
0: Yes. I was not suggesting that we all, you know, take up a Hail Mary all the time. I just wanted to share this prayer that I thought was really beautiful. It's fine, too, if we don't feel led to discussion. We can always head over early. Yes, Kay. Uh
1: I was thinking of what happened the week before, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking that if they went, if the Mary's went through all of everything that Jesus did, mm-hmm. I would be numb by the time I got to
0: the cross. Certainly, yeah. The whole, the whole experience leading up to it has been traumatic, right. and so I can imagine that that may have been how they felt, just numbed by the whole thing.
1: difficult for us to appreciate really, just think of Christ, fully God, and fully man. Right. Go and read about crucifixions. Mm-hmm. And he is fully man hanging on the cross. I'm not trying to be gross or vivid here, but the things that happen, I mean, you know, you typically are exposed naked. Yes. You lose control of your bladder, You lose mm-hmm. control of your bowels. Your bloody. It is a very deep Absolutely. And, and Christ being fully man would have experienced all of that. Mm-hmm. And to think of him hanging on the cross as a spectacle with all of those very nasty things, humiliating things happening. It's yeah. hard to comprehend. It is.
0: It's, it's hard to place yourself there and to even begin to imagine what they, what they would have been witnessing and what the emotions, the thoughts they would have been having. Um, it's, it's almost impossible to do. Yes,
1: I just think it's unusually uh, incredible that that Jesus wanted Mary Magdalene to yeah. see him first instead of his own mother or yeah or one of his disciples. It's it's beyond understanding to me. To Mary it, it is,
0: and it's perhaps the message there is that anybody can can go and become a disciple and share the message of the good news.
1: Wasn't that the Mary that the demons were cast out of? Yes, soul. yes. There's a beautiful story in that. Absolutely.
0: That, that the deliverance you experience mm-hmm. is not lost. Yes. The lives. Absolutely. She, she would have experienced firsthand the healing powers of Christ. And so, who better to go and share the good news? Someone who has been the recipient of the healing power of Christ. I don't think the
1: Bible Mm. I you, oh my goodness.
0: I, you can only begin to imagine. Yeah. Mm. One more
1: question. Yes. What do the initials at the top of the cross stand for?
0: Riot, it's
1: our right. uh, answer. Yeah. Uh, Iesu Nazareth, Rex Judas. Um, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, in re- it's Latin in Greek. Now, um, so those are the first first four letters of the, those words in Latin. <coughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. It was the centurions who made the sign, mm. and they would have spoken Latin.
0: Mm. I
1: think John specifies Latin, Greek, and Arabic are in all three languages. <coughs> Go to the, the, the Well, the centurions would have yeah, yeah. originally educated in Latin because they were Roman soldiers, right? And that was the language of I, I, so. yeah. Yeah. I love what flips the switch for Mary Magdalene at the resurrection scene. Um, because you would you would think that if Jesus says woman who you're looking for, that she recognizes yeah. the voice. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think that I mean it's kind of that road to Emmaus, where yeah. He's actually kind of I mean somehow supernaturally bailing his presence mm-hmm. until uh, the breaking of the bread. I think it's the same with Mary Magdalene. It's it's, his, it's her name.
0: Yes, mm-hmm. he calls her by name. Yeah,
1: her, her spoken name that flips that switch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think mean, that that basic idea mm-hmm. that Jesus really knows us by name. Yes. Better than we know ourselves. It's just it's yeah. such a cool little, little mean, minor detail.
0: No, I agree completely. That's one of my favorite parts. Is that he. He calls her by name. And in the midst of this resurrection, the salvation of the world, he calls his friend by name. Well, if we have no more questions, I think it's... Thank you. That was great. Thank you. Thank you all. Clap loud so Gary hears.
1: You did record yourself. Yes.